All right, so this last week I was doing some, some kind of digging around some historical archives, um, digital archives, and um, nobody will believe it, but I actually found um, Amos the Prophet's Instagram account from 800 years before Christ. Um, Amos was, we've, we've been, been looking at his, his words and his messages over the last four weeks. He was one of those famous um, prophets for justice of eight centuries before Christ. He's up there with Isaiah and with Hosea and with Micah. And, and he's one of those prophets who wrote 2,800 years ago, but there's a whole group of them that are still quoted today actively by Christians, by the followers of Jesus, and quoted today by those who don't even profess to believe in God as champions for justice in our culture. And who knew that he had an Instagram account, right? So, um, so he, he was told by God to go travel to the neighboring country and tell them God's message for them. So it makes sense that he would have taken his picture and, and snaps, or his camera, taken some, um, or his phone, taken some pictures, and posted them. So just for your benefit, I, got, I eliminated all the ones that were food shots um, so that you don't have to listen to all those, see all those, because um, we don't need to see more pictures of donuts, Alice. Um, <laughs> why do you guys have to post your food? <laughs> I... I just have a hard time hitting the heart button when you post a meal. So it's not that I don't love you. I just don't love your food that much, Alice. Um, <laughs> she finds more donut shops than anybody I know. <laughs> um, and then I got rid of all the ones with him and his buddies, you know, doing all the kinds of things. And, and so I weeded them out, and I picked four images from his Instagram account that I want to share with you today as kind of we wrap up this series and to really hopefully get the points that Amos was making to stick and stay with us. So here's the first one. Um, it is um, the roaring lion, and it comes from Amos 1.3. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Um, Amos had a thing about lions. He talks about them in the next chapter, in Amos chapter 3 actually, talks about them um, a couple of times. And in Amos 3, 7, and 8, he says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? Now, when we think about lions, we think about Simba, Right? And Simba's kind of safe and kind of comfortable because Walt Disney makes comfortable kinds of things. Or we think of going to the zoo and seeing those nice tame lions. Have you ever noticed, though, next time you go to the zoo to see the, the nice lions, you ever notice that there's a fence that is really tall and there's like a moat or a ditch that's like 20 feet deep? The reason for that is because lions are not safe. Lions are dangerous. And in the ancient Near East... When you heard a lion roar, you knew something bad was going to happen. Um, I did a little bit of looking. I didn't know this, but a lion's roar can be heard from eight kilometers away. So naturalists tell us that, that um, some lions, when they, and this seems to be um, part of what, because a number of the, the Old Testament writers talk about lions. Isaiah talks about them, Jeremiah does, Ezekiel does, David does, Hosea does, and, um, and Amos does. So we have a lot of 
Old Testament prophets that talk about lions. And, um, and evidently, a lion will stalk their prey, and then right before making the kill, there is a roar. I, I went online, tried to find um, lions roaring, and all I found was these little tame kind of growls. Evidently, there's a roar from a lion right before it jumps to make the kill that is so blood-curdling that what he's trying to kill freezes in catatonic fear, and then he can pounce and kill his prey. That's what Amos compares God to. And it's not just Amos, but Jeremiah compares God to a roaring lion, as does Hosea. Not this calm, tame kind of animal that you can run up and pat like a cat. When the ancient Near East talked about lions, they were fearful and dangerous. Now, it's not common for us to think about God as being dangerous, is it? But if we don't, we don't really understand the God of the Scriptures. God is a good that is so intense that it is terrifying. In our culture, we want to make God into this manageable being that is nice to everybody, who has grace for everyone and fear for no one. That is not the God of the Scriptures. God is a fearful good. So Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Jeremiah just wanted the people of Israel to get that message that God is not to be managed. He's not to be made tame. Because you know what? A manageable, tame God can be absolutely ignored. And we don't have to change our lives at all. If God has grace for everyone and fear for no one. I, I hope, I, I asked this earlier today. How many of you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Raise your hands if you actually read it. Good for you. You all ought to read it. And by the way, you ought to read it to your children. C.S. Lewis actually wrote every chapter of the, the seven books in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote every chapter to be able to be read in 20 minutes for bedtime stories to read to kids. So read it to your kids. Um, C.S. Lewis has a, a very healthy perspective on the Lion of Judah. And we read it um, early in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, when the, the children are getting to know Narnia and it's a new land, and so they've got lots of questions. And so we, um, we pick up a conversation. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not tame God. He is not safe, but he is good. His mercies are new every morning. But he cannot abide in justice. He cannot handle callousness of his people to the poor for whom he roars. God is good, but he is not tame. He is not safe. All right, the second image that I found from um, Amos' Instagram account is this one of a river. 
This is probably the most quoted um, verse in all of Amos, and you ought to memorize it because it's one of those that is still changing our world today. So um, Amos 5.24, let justice roll down like a mighty river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. By the way, these are not the words of Amos. He's quoting God. This is an oracle of God. These are the words of God, again, spoken almost 3,000 years ago, that are still affecting people to become champions for justice today. Um, These are also um, words that that Martin Luther King quoted in his uh, message from Washington, D.C. in 1963 um, from the Lincoln Memorial, um, his I Have a Dream speech. This is what he said. He said, there are those, Martin Luther King, there are those who are asking of the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the city. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We can never be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes that he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, can we never be satisfied till justice rolls like a mighty river and righteousness like a never-ending stream? Usually when this verse is quoted, the reference is just to half of it. Usually the reference is just to justice. But there are two parts of this. There are two halves that God says to us in this statement. He wants both justice and righteousness. Justice without righteousness is simply activism. Righteousness without justice is separatism. God requires both justice extended outwards and righteousness coming from within. And not just a puddle of, of justice and a trickle of righteousness. God wants a mighty river of justice and a righteousness. In, in the ancient Near East, you'd have these streams that when the rains came, they would be flushed through with water and then the dry came and then they'd be, be caked dry mud. God says that's not a good enough righteousness for his people. God requires a righteousness that is never ending. Jesus talks about streams of living water flowing from within us but then it must move to mighty rivers of justice. All right, the third third image that I pulled from his Instagram account is this one. On the left there is a plumb line. I actually brought my own plumb line so that you could see. Um, I actually used this one to build like three three, um, retaining walls in our house in Michigan. A plumb line is simply, like you see in the picture, it's got the string, and it's simply um, a weight tied to a string. And if you're not, um, if you've never done any, any home improvement or building, your first question is, what the heck is a plumb line for? A plumb line is to make sure that walls are built straight and true. When something's out of plumb, it means that it's built crookedly and it won't last. 
The thing about a plumb line is it's, it's influenced by the law of gravity. So you can't fool a plumb line. If you put a plumb line up against a wall and that wall is crooked, it will show. All right, this comes from, and by the way, there are plumb lines that go back to, um, to a couple thousand years before Christ. Um, we find that the Egyptians used plumb lines when they were building the, um, the pyramids, and Jesus surely would have used this tool um, as a carpenter. This comes from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, a vision that God gave Moses. This is the vision. This is what he showed me, Amos says. This is what God showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. Cornerstone Church. God is still has a plumb line in the midst of his people. A plumb line for every one of our hearts to see whether we are true for his justice and true in our passion for righteousness. There's a plumb line for each of us individually. There's also a plumb line for our church. To, God is, is measuring to see if we will follow the vision that he has given for us for Cornerstone Church to seek compassionate justice and to advocate for the marginalized in our society. And you can't fool a plumb line. Over these next few years, if we as a congregation haven't figured out how to make a difference for the marginalized and for the poor, for the least and the last and the lost, if we haven't figured out how to do that, God will know because we will not be true. It's interesting, I was reminded this last week that most of the New Testament is not about Jesus. We sing about it and think about it. I mean, it's based on Jesus. Most of the New Testament is not about Jesus. Most of the New Testament is about the people of Jesus. It's about the church trying to figure out how to carry out the mission of Jesus in the world. And that is what we are tasked with as a congregation. Um, I shared a little bit with you last week in... In some of my research, I'm trying to figure out how do, we, how do we become Christian activists? How do we shape Christian activists? Um, we found that there is a pathway that I, I sort of mentioned last week, a kind of a predictable pathway. First, we have to become aware of injustice. If we're oblivious, then we're just like the Israelites when Amos got there. It's like, oh, we don't know anything's going on. Systemic evil going on all over the place, overt evil going on and injustice. But no, we don't. So first, we have to become aware. Then secondly, we're told that we have to become informed because awareness is not enough. And to become informed means that we have to take initiative to go find out more. Then thirdly, on this pathway of justice, we have to commit to engage in a specific area of justice. What we talked about last week, it has to become personal for us. Because until it becomes personal, it's still out there and it will not last in our lives. And then the fourth um, kind of stage or, or on this pathway of righteousness is not only do we advocate for righteousness, but we try to recruit and equip others to do the same. This is what God wants us to do as a congregation. This is what God wants us to do individually. We've talked enough about this gap between our rhetoric for justice and our actions for justice. And God's holding the plumb line to see if our hearts will be true, to see if we will engage his mission. All right, and then the last image that I pulled from his Instagram account is this last one. 
of a um, basket of fruit. And this is Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord God showed me next. Amos still talking. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he, God, said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. (laughs) Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. Um, God evidently can be fairly clever because this, you wouldn't know this unless you check the footnote in your Bible, but there, this is a pun. The word for, um, for summer fruit and the word for the end has come is pronounced exactly the same in Hebrew. So God's making a pun here. And so for Jade's sake this morning, I picked a few puns to warm us up to understand what's going on. So you're welcome, Jade. I tried this one out, and people didn't get it earlier today. How do you make antifreeze? Steal her blanket. (laughs) We're going to know when Jade gets each one because we're going to hear her giggle. If she doesn't giggle, she doesn't get it yet. Or if she does that fake laugh, then it doesn't count. (laughs) It's hard to explain puns to a kleptomaniac because they always take things literally. Puns about communism are not funny unless everyone gets them. For our married or soon-to-be-married people, it was an emotional wedding. Even the cake was in tears. Dental students. A, a, A dentist got this this morning. What's the best time to go to the dentist? 2.30. I'm just waiting till the rest of you catch on, all right? Okay, this one's for our gamers. I asked a Frenchman if he played video games, and he said, we. For our musicians, I was going to ask the drummer to play again, but I hate to hear the repercussions. Oh, here's one for you, Daniel. Um, Medical people, dogs can't operate MRI machines, but cat scan. All right. So So God does this pun between... Summer fruit and the end has come. And I read it and I went, huh? Okay, I figured I was a pun. I read that in the commentaries. Nice pun, God, but huh? And then I read the commentaries and they didn't help. They just kind of said, oh yeah, basket of ripe fruit. And then they went right on. I couldn't figure out what he was talking about until I actually kind of stopped for long enough. I said, what, what happens with ripe fruit? What can we do with ripe fruit? And in Israel, there's only two choices. We can eat it and enjoy it, or it is going to rot, and we have to clean up a mess, right? And so when I think of, of, you know, overripe, rotten fruit in my house, not that this would ever happen in my house, Marla, um, I think of a banana that's brown and yucky, right? When you pick it up, it leaks, and there's this brown puddle down. Yeah, right, see? That's what I... So... That's the same option the ancient Israelites had. They could either seize the moment and eat and enjoy that fruit, or it was going to rot, and they were going to have to clean it up. So what's the point? The point is this. As Amos said to the, to the nation of Israel, is what God's saying to us now, now is the time. This is not something we can wait for someday or someplace um, when we have more time. 
now is the time for us to engage in the mission that God has for justice and mercy in the world. Now is the time for us individually to step onto the pathway of justice. Now is the time for us as a church to enter this pathway of doing justice for the sake of Jesus. And if we miss this, that now's the time, we're going to have in our generation a rotten mess to clean up. Will we lose our salvation if we don't do justice? No. Our salvation isn't dependent on what we do. Our salvation is dependent on what Jesus Christ has done for us. But we will lose so much else. We'll lose the joy of being used powerfully by God for such a time as this. Has there, I can't remember a time when our culture wasn't aching for true justice more than it's aching now. Maybe the civil rights movement, but that was just a small segment of the population. There is, I mean, those, those racial rants that went viral this week on the internet, the, the two guys who died in Oregon, you know, almost surely, you know, a hate crime um, for their race, right? Our culture is sensitized to this. If we don't seize the moment, we will miss the opportunity of knowing what it is to be used powerfully by God for such a time as this. We will also lose the excitement of living life on the edge. You realize you were not created for safety. You were created to go on a high adventure with God. And safety will, will, will just shrivel your soul. As a matter of fact, the, the head of International Justice Mission says that safety, when we, we raise our children to be safe, all it does is require that they will have to look elsewhere. They will act out because they know they were not created for safety. We will lose the vibrancy of our walk with Jesus because if we're not committed to the justice mission of Jesus, we're not walking very closely with Jesus. If we're not walking towards the poor, we're not walking with Jesus. We won't lose our salvation, but we will lose much of the joy of our salvation we will lose the rewards of heaven for faithful servants. We will lose the fellowship of being on mission together in community. I think we will ultimately lose our fervor for Jesus Christ. This showing up in church for great music and to hang out with your buddies has an expiration date. There's going to get a point where that's not enough. We have to worship we have to love community. But if we don't get to this third leg of ministry and mission for justice, we're going to get bored of this game. And if you all hang in because you're pretty dutiful and you're pretty, you know, you kind of want to do what God says, I don't think your children will. I think you will you lose your children to the faith if you don't learn how to go on a mission of justice for Jesus in our world. Now's the time. Now's the time to become aware of injustice, to fuel our passion for justice. Now's the time to get informed on specific areas of justice, to make it personal. Now's the time for each of us to do something, anything we must. Let's, as I said last week, let's mobilize all of our assets, 
our spiritual gifts, our community, our vocational training, our, our, our resources. Let's mobilize all of our assets and find out how God wants to accomplish justice through them. Let's push back the darkness. Let it not be said of us that we did nothing so that others would suffer. Now is the time to do whatever it takes for mercy and justice in our world. May this not be another sermon series that comes and goes because you've all heard these before. There's nothing I've shared with you that's any different. The only difference is if you commit to go onto this pathway of justice for Jesus. That's the message of Isaiah. A lion roars as the lion of Judah roars for justice. Rivers flow as God wants. Mighty rivers of justice and he wants a steady righteousness like a never-ending stream. A plumb line measures to see if we are true And a bowl of summer fruit reminds us now, not later, now is the time. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for direct quotes of you speaking to your prophets. Because most of what we've talked about today were not the words of Amos. They were you speaking speaking for Amos's day and speaking for our day. Thank you for the images that you've given us in the book of Amos. May we not forget them. May we not neglect them. Because we never have to wonder what you feel about justice or what you, whether or not you care about the poor and the marginalized. We never have to wonder because you shouted out through your scriptures. And then we watch Jesus exemplifying how to live out a concern for, for the hated Samaritans, concern for Roman centurions, concern for women, concern for lepers. And Jesus shows us a life of moving towards the least and the last and the lost. Father, I, I want to thank you for the assets you have given this congregation. I want to thank you for for those who are already doing significant efforts for justice for you because we have a number in our congregation who are already on this pathway. They're leading us forward. Thank you for the assets that you've given us in this community, the, the unique capabilities that are here, the overwhelming number of us in this church who have gifts of mercy. Thank you even for the experience of being minorities and being neglected or abused or discriminated against, because even out of that, you will work to motivate us to care for others. Thank you, Father, for all that you want to do through us, but would you help us not miss this part of our journey? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.